you do, say amen. And turn to Psalm, where are we, 135. 135. All those numbers start running together. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 5 through 7 out of that. There was uh, an old man and an old woman, and they were looking out their window, and the old woman was looking across the street, and she saw a young couple over there, and the young couple, the man comes out going to work, and there at the front door, he just gives his wife just a big old kiss and then takes off. And she said to her husband, the old lady said to the husband, why don't you ever do that? And he said, number one, because she's not my wife. And number two didn't really matter. Uh, sometimes it comes in relationships. We find ourselves looking elsewhere when we should be looking right where we are and with what God has given us, especially when it comes to him. And Israel had a problem. They were always looking at their neighbors like that old lady and they were making an assumption because when she said what she did, she was meaning for her husband to kiss her, not the lady across the street. And Israel always had a problem with this. In the Psalms, it says, kiss the son, S-O-N, lest he be angry. And he's talking about the relationship with the Lord. Like you would go to before a king and you might kiss his ring or something like that. We ought to do that to the Lord. But Israel was always looking somewhere else they were always looking to someone else and that's a part of what is referred to in this psalm in psalm 135 beginning at verse 5 it says for i know that the lord is great and our lord is above all gods notice it's a little g so he's talking about the gods that the other people worship not that there are other gods but there are gods that are being worshipped verse 6 whatever the Lord pleases he does in heaven and in earth in the seas and in all deep places in other words everywhere verse 7 he causes the vapors meaning clouds or the rising uh, humidity think of the water cycle hydrological cycle to ascend from the ends of the earth he makes lightning for the rain and brings the wind out of his treasuries. Well, I was thinking earlier in the year, we sure got a lot of the Lord's treasuries, didn't we? Because we had some winds this year. Now, I want you to think about this. Why does the psalmist, and we don't know who wrote this psalm. We don't really even know the context, but we kind of have an idea. Why did he bring up stuff about God and then go to weather? That seems a little bit odd to me, uh, thinking that we would talk about God's. I would be, uh, if I were talking about God's greatness, I, I would talk about love and mercy. I would talk about his grace and redemption and things like that. This guy uh, talks about the greatness of God and he immediately goes to the weather. Now, to be fair, weather back in those days was something that they didn't really understand. They didn't have radars. They didn't have... Dopplers, they didn't have uh, Valcaster or any of those people, right? And uh, so it, you can imagine what it must have been like. I've often thought about what it must have been like 
for people back in the day to maybe after the land run or something like that to come and settle here. Can you even begin to imagine if they came from a place that was kind of calm and mild and moderate and then they got their 160 acre farm and their sod hut up and then all of a sudden they're going, what in the world is that coming out of those clouds? I mean, it'd be terrifying. Or to have heat like we've had this summer. Uh, we kind of have some extremes here. And you can imagine what that must have been like. And they had to learn to read the signs and read the seasons and read the skies and all of that. And some of them got pretty good at it, pretty good at it. Some of them just relied on their arthritic knee, right, and said something's getting ready to happen or their rheumatism. And, uh, but I, I think about that and I go, well, these people in the day of this psalmist must have been just absolutely in awe of anything they would see. In the night sky, the, several psalms make reference to that. The heavens declaring the glory of God and gazing into the night sky. Don't you know? They wondered, what is that? And how does all of this work? And those type of things. Not to mention seasonal changes. They didn't have uh, any of the scientific things that we do. They would be noticing things that were happening, things that would happen with animals, with birds, with trees, all of that type of thing, and say, oh, we're getting ready to come into spring or we're coming into the fall maybe or winter or something like that. It, it was a different life for them, and they were in awe of all of this. And when they would see lightning that would strike and the fire that would result or the destruction that would result, they knew that they were seeing the power of God and we do the same thing we uh, say I hear the uh, I see the um, good night it went blank on the words how great thou art um, I hear the rolling thunder I see the what stars is that right and hear the rolling thunder thy power throughout the universe displayed I mean we still kind of get that and that's what he's doing but as I began to study and pray over this I thought, now there's something a little bit more than just normal human amazement and curiosity, even though I'm sure that was there. Israel had a problem. They would look at their Canaanite neighbors, and then they would fall into the worship of their gods. And in the first part of the Old Testament, there's one whose name comes up all the way through, even in the days of Elijah and Elisha and all of that. And that is Baal. Remember reading about Baal? Sometimes it's even used in the plural because sometimes the name Baal was kind of a generic name for a lot of false gods. Kind of like if you were to uh, uh, maybe look in your cabinet some, or, or somebody asks you what's in that cabinet and you say dishes. Well, you don't name the fact that there's a pitcher, there are glasses, there are saucers, there are cups, there are dessert plates, there are regular plates and all of that. It's all one generic dishes, and we kind of know what you mean. Well, these people in this day would have known if you said that uh, you, Israel was worshiping the Baals, they would have known what that meant. For us, not so much. But oftentimes, it was also referred to just in the singular, Baal was said to control the weather. Ah, now that gives us a little bit of a clue because if there were people all around Israel that were thinking that if there's a drought, who do you turn to? Yahweh? No, you go to Baal. 
And they would tell the Israelis, we need rain. The Israelis would say, yes, we've been praying about that in our temple and maybe in our synagogues and maybe over our meals. And these people would say, well, what good is that going to do? You need to come with us and we're going to have a feast and a sacrifice to Baal because he can make it rain. And over time, the Israelis would say, you know, uh, there might be something to that. You know, I've known some Christians, for example, that would look in the newspaper and they would read their horoscope. And you know why they did it? Well, I don't really believe in that. But you know, the other day I did read and I read about my sign and something similar to that happened. There's something to that or people wouldn't believe it. Well, that's what the Israelis did. And there were those times when maybe their Canaanite neighbor said, we're having a feast for Baal and we're going to ask him to give rain. And lo and behold, it rained after they did that. And the Israelis said, huh, we went to our God and prayed for rain and nothing happened. They went to their God and prayed for rain and it happened. Now, it may not happen every time. It may have been just a coincidence or maybe the Israelis' prayer was being answered and it just happened to coincide with what the Canaanites were doing. But the Israelis started saying, you know, there, there's a little something to that. And they always had this tendency to stray to Baal, who was one of the gods of weather. And so this is uh, a motivation for Israel to stray. In fact, in Judges chapter 2, verse 11... And we could have had a lot of scriptures I could have used, but I just used this one. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. There's that name. And there's the idea of these gods that carry that particular name of Baal. Now, I looked in, I've been reading in 2 Kings anyway in the mornings. And so uh, if you would turn in your Bible just for a few moments here, to 2 Kings chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. And uh, in the divided nation, the southern kingdom of Judah, they had a few good kings. And in the northern kingdom of Israel, they didn't have, I don't think they had any good kings. They all uh, were uh, astray. And I want you to notice something here that uh, kind of gives us a clue into what the worship was. Why was God so upset? And in the book of 2 Kings, it'll say that so-and-so reigned in Judah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, except that he did not tear down the high places. And the high places were references to where the idols and the false gods were worshipped. And uh, in the northern kingdom of Israel, they didn't even make much of a pretense here. So 2 Kings 21, 1 through 9. Okay? Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. So this is one of the rare bad kings of Judah, okay? reigning in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hephezabah, and uh, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. In other words, he is copying after the people that the Lord has judged. 
Now that's something that we ought to stop and think about. How many times do we envy people that are under the judgment of God, that are going to die and go and spend an eternity in hell? How many times do we try to be like them, act like them, look like them, and, and we let them st set the standard for life? And uh, that's what this guy was doing. And I want you to notice one of the characteristics, and maybe we'll see a little bit of American culture in here, was prosperity and even fertility. These were the promises of Baal. Good crops, lots of children, a lot of money and sales, that type of thing. And it says, uh, reading on in this uh, chapter, For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed and he erected altars for Baal and uh, so there he is putting all that together why did he do that because this God of weather promised crops fertility children all of this type of stuff if you would worship him now what's the next component of Baal worship and that would be sexual immorality and perversion picking up again it says and made an Asherah as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. Well, you need remember Ahab. He's the guy that Elijah had so much trouble with. But what did he do? He made an Asherah. Asherah was a big pole that they would make. And it was, um, well, it was a phallic symbol. Let's put it that way. And uh, so that's what this particular king, Manasseh, is doing. It had all kinds of sexual implications and fertility implications and all of that. The next thing we find out that he was doing as we pick up in our text is astrology. You know anybody who is kind of into that? And it picking up the text, it says, And worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He built his life around them. He consulted them. He thought he was ruled by the stars. That is always, always, always condemned in the scripture we're not ruled by the stars we're ruled by the one who made the stars the next thing we find is corruption of true worship corruption of true worship and it says that he built altars look at this in the house of the Lord of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem I will put my name and he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord so this guy is so bold he's not just doing it privately he's not just doing it separately in the high places or anything like that he's building altars and astrological uh, signs and things to figure out horoscopes where in the very temple of the Lord himself this guy is walking on thin ice notice also that there is a devaluing of life Look at the next thing. And he burned his son as an offering. Burned his own son as an offering. And then there was occultism. It says, and he used fortune telling and omens and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He liked to contact the dead. Seances, in other words. Notice how this guy just keeps going on and on and on and on. Now, the next thing we find is just bold, unapologetic blasphemy. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. 
and the carved image of Asherah that he had made, he set in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all of the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever, and I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander any more out of the land that I gave to their fathers. And what is he doing in that particular place where the glory of God was and the Holy of Holies and where the sacrifices were altered and where the Day of Atonement was observed by the high priest one time a year? He puts up that nasty, dirty phallic symbol of Asherah right there in the temple. Uh, boy, that is brazen when you do something like that. And I don't know if you've noticed that all of these kind of things seem to be sort of familiar to us. What happens next? Well, there's an attack on the Bible. Satan always gets around to that. He said, if only they will be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. So this guy is blatantly rejecting and violating the very promises and the very laws of God that had been written down and given to them. But you know, one thing we find that when evil gets a toehold, it's kind of like the old story of the camel putting his nose under the tent because he was cold. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, the camel's in the tent. And you give them an inch, the saying is, and they will do what? take a mile that's the way evil is evil progresses and it says but they did not listen and Manasseh led them astray to do look at these words more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel you know what he just said that one of the Israelite kings the king of Judah Manasseh with the DNA of Abraham did more evil than the nations that were driven out. It doesn't stop. It's never satisfied. It always hungers for more, and it goes for more. Someone said in commenting on this, evil practices never go away. They simply evolve. Ready for this? Baal transformed into Zeus. Ever heard of him? Who transformed into Jupiter, etc., etc. You see, the worship of Baal, when the Greeks decided they wanted to pick up on all of that, they had Zeus and Athena and all of Mars and all of those. And then when the Romans came and conquered the Grecian Empire, they liked it so much that they just changed the name to Roman names, Jupiter and that type of thing, and it goes on and on and on. It's interesting how the devil's strategy just doesn't change very much at all. The Bible says all that is in the world are the lust of the eyes. That's what he's still doing. The lust of the flesh. That's what he's still doing. And the pride of life. And so that's all he was doing here. And every culture then picks it up. Here the Canaanites had it. And then the Israelis had it. And then the Greeks had it under a different name. And then the Romans had it under a different name. And uh, this falsehood is still going on today. Because if you noticed, the way that Manasseh was living 
Every one of those things we pointed out, you can find them today in America. You can find them here in Oklahoma. You can find them in our city, in our metro area. You can find every one of them. And people are unashamed of them anymore. And people are pretty blatant about all of it anymore. And people have no problem uh, following their horoscope or being at a seance and then being in church on Sunday. They just see it all as being spiritual and it's all kind of the same to them. And then there are these people that hold out the promise of prosperity and getting your prayers answered and everything will be great if you'll just give to us, participate with us and all of that. And it's all an attack on the Word of God going all the way back to Genesis 3 when Eve is talking to the serpent in the garden, the first thing he said was, Hath God said? And that's all you really need to know. Whenever that comes up, has God said? Is this what he really said? Is this what he really means? You better be careful. You may be hearing the hiss of the serpent in the background. It's always an attack on the word of God. Now, however, the psalmist affirms, and this is where we pick up with point number one out of our psalm tonight. All authority belongs to the Lord. All authority. Not some. He doesn't share it with anybody else. It's not a little bit of this and a little bit of this. It's all God, folks. He calls us to worship Him and to trust Him exclusively, renouncing all others. And this is why it took if you remember your Sunday school lesson, it took a while for Nebuchadnezzar to get to that place. Nebuchadnezzar would have a dream interpreted by Daniel and he'd say, oh, your God is a great God. He never got around to saying, my God. He never got around to saying that your God is the only God. He's just a great God, one of many. He believed in a lot of different gods. After Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fiery furnace. Oh, your God is a great God, able to deliver you. And your body is not even affected by all of the stuff that happened in there. But it's still not his God. He even passes the law. No one is allowed to say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He never embraced the Lord until he had to. He never really... Uh, called the Lord his God until a later point. And this is uh, what we see so many people do. They want to kind of say, well, I believe in God. And they look at God. You know, when I mentioned the horoscope thing, that there are people that read that and then something similar happens. And they go, well, I don't really believe in it, but there's something to it. That's what a lot of your neighbors do with your God and with your Christ and with your salvation. They don't out and out deny him. They don't out and out say, I want nothing to do with him. They kind of give him props. Well, I believe going to church is a good thing. And I believe in that prayer. Boy, I believe in that. And my grandma, boy, she believed that Bible. That type of thing. They don't necessarily renounce God. They just don't trust him fully, completely, and exclusively. And so the psalmist is making this statement to Israel and they would sing this as a hymn. There is no other God and there is no other authority except Yahweh, the God that we serve. For I know that the Lord is great and our Lord is above 
all gods, by great meaning superior, deserving praise, above all gods meaning the gods, the false gods, the dead gods, the idolater, idolatrous gods that the nations around them would worship. Here's a quote for you. The heathen divided the great domain, but Jupiter does not rule in heaven, nor Neptune on the sea, nor Pluto in the lower regions. Jehovah rules over all. And that's Charles Spurgeon that said that. He's making reference to the Greek and Roman gods and how they divided them up. They have a certain territory, a certain realm, a certain place where they are powerful and nobody dares go into that place. Even the other gods, they stay where they belong and stay in their territory and they believe that their territory gives them power and gives them strength. And Spurgeon says, there's no such thing. Those gods have no power at all. And here's the great and the beautiful thing. Our God rules and reigns over all, everywhere. Whether it's the realm of the dead or whether it's the sea or whether it's the sky or whether it's the earth, wherever it is, you'll find that our God is sovereign and nothing ever takes away his sovereignty. Number two, the Lord, our God, is not subject to superstition, the occult, are false gods, which the Apostle Paul tells us are demons. You know, sometimes we act as though if something is going on that's superstitious, well, God won't be able to work if we're doing something like that. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not pro-superstition at all. You ought to get that kind of stuff out of your life. And uh, there are some people that act like that if there is anything going on in our city or in our town or in our state, where witches are gathering or things like that are happening, and that does happen, and I do believe in that, but they act as though that diminishes God. God can't do what He wants to do because one of their people are here. And they'll talk about sometimes the enemy will bring witches into churches, and they'll cast spells, and they'll do that type of stuff. Do I believe that? Yes, I do believe that the devil does things like that. However, it doesn't shake my faith because even if you brought a bunch of people in who were witches like that to fill this place up where they outnumbered us, they still would not win because our God would be sovereign over all of that. And so we have to understand nothing ever dimin diminishes God. How do I know that? Because he's an unchangeable God. And if anything caused him to trip up, stumble, lose power, become weak, to be ineffective or anything like that, then he would be a God who changes. And he does not change. And that's our message today. You can trust him because there is nothing that robs him of power. There is nothing that causes him to be weak or powerless. There's nothing like that at all. He's not old. He's not feeble. He's not malnourished. Nothing like that is going on. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same God no matter what you may face, no matter whom you may face. He is God. The God that said, let there be light, did it in spite of the devil, did it in spite of the demons of hell, did it in spite of anything else or anyone else. 
The God who with Joshua made the walls of Jericho fall down did it in spite of the incantations of the Canaanites, did it in spite of the demonic presence there because of the idols in which they worshipped. Our God reigns and he reigns period in all situations and he is more powerful than anything else because verse 6 says whatever the Lord pleases he tries is that right whatever the Lord pleases he crosses his fingers and hopes for the best and sometimes gets it accomplished right no whatever the Lord pleases he does he does and he'll do it with or without you he'll do it with your cooperation or without your cooperation sometimes people get mad at God because he doesn't answer their prayer doesn't do it the way they want and so they make up their mind I'm going to quit serving him doesn't bother God he'll do what he wants to do with or without you he'd rather do it with you he'd rather work through you and in you but he'll do it without you or without me because our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Whatever. I want you to think about that. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Whatever is, well, that's a huge word, isn't it? Whatever. There's no limits to that. Whatever. Whatever pleases the Lord, he does. When it says the Lord pleases, is, is pleased to do it, whatever pleases him he does, it means he's never forced, he's never manipulated, he's never tricked, he never has buyer's remorse, he never has regret on any of that because he is an all-knowing God. And it says that whatever pleases the Lord he does, meaning nothing stops, nothing hinders, or nothing diverts him. Nebuchadnezzar had it right when he finally got saved after that seven-year period. And he said, Then I bless the Lord of heaven. Remember? And he says, And he counts the inhabitants of the earth as nothing, and uh, no one can stop his hand or say, What are you doing? Why? Because our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. We just sang that. And if you sing it, you ought to believe it. And you ought to put it into practice. And you ought to be trusting in that because there's nothing that can push our God aside or hinder our God. He does whatever he pleases, the psalmist said. Baal can't say that. Baal can't say that. Zeus and Jupiter, whatever you want to call them, they can't say that. But our God can. And number three... Notice that the Lord is not limited by location or region or nation. You know, sometimes we have this feeling that God is stronger when we're in the church than He is when we're in our house. I want you to think about that because that's just a tad bit blasphemous. Sometimes we think that we are in different places. Boy, if I'm in India, God's not as strong in India. Why? Because of all the idols and because all of the demonic activity. Well, there are a lot of idols there and there's a lot of demonic activity. But that's never anything in the Bible. That There's never any verse in the Bible that even hints at the fact that that is a threat to God. They're dead. They are defeated. They are false. And our God is the true and the living God. So he does whatever pleases him, the Bible says. But then it says, where does he do this? 
probably pick up, and it says, in heaven and in earth. Well, that about covers it, doesn't it? In heaven and in earth. That's where the Lord does his will. Oh, well, just in case you wonder, in the seas and all the deep places. God is doing his will in places you've never been. God is doing his will in places you can't see. God is doing his will in places that you couldn't breathe or survive. It doesn't matter whether it's a far-off galaxy or whether it's in the depths of the Pacific Ocean. God's will is being done. His power is being displayed. And there is nothing that diminishes him. No one, anywhere, in any place. You see, the common thought was, in, uh, when this psalm was written, uh, polytheism, many gods, and for the most part, equal. Equal. You know, just uh, Nebuchadnezzar's idea was, well, you got your gods and I got mine. You worship your gods, I'll worship mine. And uh, they're all kind of equal. Unless I happen to attack you and I win the battle, well, it means it doesn't invalidate your god. It just means my gods were stronger. And even in that, what did Nebuchadnezzar say over and over as we saw? Your god, your god. Your God. Blessed be your God. Why? Because that was the dominant thought. Does that sound a little familiar for today? There are lots of ways to heaven. There are lots of gods. Lots of goddesses. All religions are equal. All morality is equal. They're all kind of, you know, kind of the same moral equivalents, we call that. And yet this psalmist kicks that right in the teeth they're not all equal all beliefs are not equal all religions are not equal all cultures are not equal and all morality is not equal and any so-called dominion of these things are simply allowed by God and controlled by God and they are limited by God for his purposes and God is sovereign at all times and at all places can I hear an amen on that whether you read in the book of revelation about the beast and the false prophet and the mark of the beast and all of the things that is going on then listen even in that when the devil is going to kind of seem to be having a heyday it's controlled by God this is what you can do. This is where you can do it. This is how long you can do it because that tribulation period is only going to last seven years no matter what the devil tries to do. Why? Because God is even in sovereign control of those situations. There is never a time or a place where God is not in full control knowing exactly what he is doing and dominating the powers of darkness and dominating the false religions of this world and they are not all equal. Our God is greater and our God is higher than any other. And we've got to stand upon that. Number four. The Lord... Created and controls even the environment. Verse 7 says, He causes vapors to ascend. Now we all know the hydrological cycle, right? It rains, there's water here on earth, it does what it's supposed to do, and then it evaporates and it goes back up. And then it rains and then it does what it's supposed to do, it evaporates and goes back up. We know that. Who causes that? Well, that's just Mother Nature. Now, there's no Mother Nature. No Mother Nature, it's Father God. Okay, did you get that? No Mother Nature, Father God. 
He is the one who causes the vapors to ascend, clouds and all of that. And he makes lightning for the rain. Without him, there wouldn't be any. And he brings the wind out of his treasuries. In other words, he controls the weather. He controls the water cycle. He controls storms. He controls the winds. All of that is under his control. Now, sometimes we kind of act like it's out of control. We act like things happen just randomly. And that's because we have been heavily influenced by Darwin and other people like that. And even today, there's a movement, and our government is eaten up with this, and our president and others, and it's killing our economy and killing our productivity. And you know what they keep talking about? Climate change. Climate change. Well, does the climate change? You bet it does. The key is what causes the climate to change. Well, you know, we've talked about global cooling back in the 70s when I was a kid. Our weekly reader used to talk about that, global cooling. Pollution's going to block out the sun, and then the ice caps are going to expand, and weather's going to cool, and crops won't grow, and all of those kind of things are going to happen. Then it changed to, uh, the, well, there's a hole in the ozone because you've been using too much hairspray and aerosol cans. Remember that? And, uh, boy... That's going to cause the sun's light to come through and UV rays, rays will not be filtered out and the polar ice caps are going to melt. Remember Al Gore, the vice president at that time? And we only had a few years before all this is going to happen and the coasts are going to be flooded and oh, we're just going to be in trouble. So we banned aerosols and all of that kind of stuff because we're going to save the earth. And it's amazing to me that particularly liberals, they always, every so often, have a plan, and this plan is going to save the earth. And it just happens to cost a few trillion dollars that we don't have. And you know something else? It's going to impinge upon your freedom. Hmm, coincidentally, I said with great sarcasm. And you know what else happens? After they pass that, they have to pass another one in a few years. And they have to spend a few more trillion dollars and they have to do something else because they don't know what they're doing. Okay? Hear that. They don't know what they're doing. They are godless and they are following paganism and they think somehow that they can control the weather and we can control. We can't destroy the earth if we tried. God is sovereign over that. He's the one who will destroy the earth. Now, we ought to be good stewards of it, granted. But think about how arrogant it is for us to say, we're going to run our SUVs up and down the road, and that's going to cause the earth to be destroyed. Are you kidding me? Have you ever heard of the Ice Age? Huh. There were ice in places now that are hot. And we can find the things in fossils and all that. Gee, I wonder what happened. Oh, global warming. They didn't have an internal combustion engine. They didn't have SUVs. They didn't have coal-fired plants or anything like that. What's going on? Because climate change happens as a natural course of events over time, and it's controlled by our God. Okay? So let your faith settle in on this. You serve a God who knows exactly what's going on, exactly what is hidden in the hearts of man, 
with all due respect, only the shadow knows. You remember that? No, only God knows. Only God knows. And our God is controlling them, and they don't even know it. Joseph R. Biden would never have been heard of and certainly would not occupy the White House were it not for God. And we could say that about Vladimir Putin. And we could say that about, uh, uh, what's his name in China? Xi. We could say that about anybody else. We could say that about George Washington. We could say that about Abraham Lincoln. We could say that about our governor. We could say that about our mayor. Romans 13 makes it clear God puts them in power and God limits the scope of their power and he limits the term of their power read through second kings here they are big and bold and powerful and shaking their fist in the face of God and setting up all kinds of ungodly perverted sexual stuff in the temple and then it says the same thing about every one of them and then they died and they slept with their fathers and another king takes their place God's got this, and he knows. He knows what the elections are going to be. He knows whether we're going to have revival and awakening in our nation or not. He knows. And my prayer is that we'll be seeking the Lord, following the Lord, worshiping the Lord, because he is the only one who does know, and he is the one who is in sovereign control of everything. Oh, this world tries to assert itself and the powers of darkness try to assert themselves. But even though it may seem that they're all in control, Jesus is still King of kings and Lord of lords and he always will be and every promise made in the book will be fulfilled. Amen. Right? So let's close. Baal who was thought of as the god of weather. Baal was sometimes depicted as holding a bolt of lightning and was believed to be the one who sent the rain. The singer rebuked this and sang of Yahweh as the Lord over lightning, rain, and the wind. In other words, the psalmist is saying, there's no need to look anywhere else. Give him praise. And rest in him regardless of your circumstances. Psalm 107 verse 8 says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. I don't know what you're trusting in and I don't know what you're hoping for out of life. But my encouragement to you is stop it if you're not looking to the Lord. There's not a politician. There's not a job. There's not a relationship. There's not an amount of money. There's not a possession. There is nothing that can fill the longing of your soul except the Lord Jesus. Why don't you give thanks and praise to him tonight will you bow your heads and close your eyes heavenly father 
We have a lot of things that disturb us, a lot of things that trouble us, a lot of things that cause us to lose sleep, a lot of things that rob us of joy, a lot of things that rob us of relationships, a lot of things that even rob us of our health. And oh, if we would only learn how to trust you, to rest in you, and to fulfill your will by giving thanks in every situation because of who you are. Not just for what you do. There's enough there we could spend an eternity talking about. But to go even deeper, to think of who you are. Lord, I praise you because of who you are. Lord, I praise you for your righteousness, your holiness. I praise you for your consistency. I praise you for your faithfulness. I praise you for your salvation. I praise you for redemption. I praise you for mercy and grace. I praise you because you are the sovereign ruler of heaven and earth and nothing can diminish you. And So tonight, I want to rest in you regardless of how I feel, regardless of what others say, regardless of how things look. I want to rest in you. And I want all of us to be able to do the same as well. Thank you, Lord that you have revealed yourself in such a way that we can do that. And while the world goes nuts, while the world has all kinds of confusion and everything that goes on they have trouble with or they come up with an inept explanation for it or they're just bewildered, let the people of God rest in you and let them see us resting in you so that they question the hope that lies within us and we can tell them of our glorious God and his wonderful gospel. Open doors during these troubled times that we might seize the opportunity to tell other people about Jesus. And thank you for the time when we will eventually will be in heaven where we don't have to mess with any of this. But in the meantime, because you are faithful, may your people be found faithful as well. And we pray this all for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Take your new